0: Billy Sunday was a preacher in the early 20th century, and he railed against card playing and dancing. And he said, I believe that cards and dancing are doing more to damn the spiritual life of the church than bars. He also said, the dancing Christian never was a soul winner, and to dance simply was a hugging match set to music. So according to Sunday, these things marked off the people of God. It's kind of easy to scoff at at those sort of things, you know, with our modern sensibilities. But we do the same thing. We say this is what a Christian looks like. We have in our mind a, a painted picture of what a Christian is to be and to do. They're they're to listen to this type of music. They're to dress a certain way. They're to vote for this political party. You know, they're never allowed to play Texas Hold'em and they can't do the electric slide. Like this is what a Christian is supposed to be. This is what a Christian is supposed to do. Jesus repaints our picture of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like. In the Sermon on the Mount, he declares that he is king. His kingdom is where he, he reigns and rules, and we are as God's people to live out this kingdom ethic. Stott referred to the Sermon on the Mount as the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For his own description, for it's his own description of what we, or what he wanted his followers to be and to do. And so that's what we're going to look at today. What does God want us to be? What does God want us to do as his kingdom people? And just a couple things before we jump into our passage that we got to bring in from what we've been talking about the past few weeks. Last week, Jesus claimed that he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, that he came to fulfill it. And part of that fulfillment we're going to see today is Jesus clarifying and deepening our understanding of Old Testament commands and how they apply to our lives. Like, what do they mean for us as kingdom citizens today? Right after that, Jesus talked about his kingdom people having a righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for their righteousness. And Jesus is not saying that if the Pharisees scored a a 90 on the righteousness exam, we got to score a 95. Kingdom righteousness is different from Pharisaical righteousness and kind rather than degree. It's a whole different type of righteousness. The Pharisees were content with an external, formal, and heartless adherence to the law. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you look righteous externally on the outside, but inside, you're not just dirt bee, you're dirt hay. You are are hypocritical. You are lawless. The outside of the cup looks clean. The inside of the cup is dirty. The type of righteousness that Jesus talks about is an inner righteousness. It's a righteousness that is only possible by God's gift of a new heart. This is important to understand as we talk about these commands today. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you were saved, God gave you a new heart. He took your heart of stone. He, He made it a heart of flesh. The Spirit now lives within you. And that new heart doesn't just affect your, your external actions. It, it will, but it'll stir up desires and ambitions and attitudes for things that please God. You'll, you'll desire internally to follow Him as well. And so today, we're going to see Jesus clarifying and deepening an external and shallow understanding of God's commands in the Old Testament. But He's also going to show us a greater and deeper righteousness, and how God's kingdom citizens with new hearts are to live that righteousness out. Turn to Matthew 5. Please, I beg you, have God's word in front of you. As we work through this sermon, have God's word in front of you. Take notes. I love it when I am in a community group of note takers and they, they get a question and they look at their notes and they're like, oh yeah, that reminds me of this. And so be a note taker, uh, write in your Bible, not mine, but yours, uh, don't cross anything out. Um, take good notes and, and have God's word in front of you as it's being preached to you. So look at verse 21. 5, chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is the sixth commandment. Murder, bad. we got a police officer back there. Murder's bad, right? Murders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got that on record. Uh, I'll get your badge number after. Um, <laughs> uh, murder is bad. It equals judgment. And, and from a pharisaical point of view, that's a pretty easy commandment to follow. I, I've not murdered anybody. You know, you know, sixth commandment check, Most of us in this room haven't murdered anyone intentionally. Jesus takes his command, though, to the heart level. Look at verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus goes to the cause of murder. Anger it says anger is, is murder in the mind, and he gives a different examples of, of anger in action. Literally, it says to yell, Raka, and you fool at other believers. This anger is sinful no matter who it's directed at, but to insult, to name call, to demean our brothers and sisters in Christ when we ourselves have been saved from God's wrath, to call them a fool, which has overtones of immorality and godlessness and stupidity. To scream at them rakah, which was a, a quasi-swear word in Aramaic, which meant empty-headed or, or idiot. All of that will result in judgment. Murder is bad. It equals judgment. Anger is bad. It equals judgment. Jesus, as the true interpreter of the Torah, illuminates the depths of the sixth commandment and gives his kingdom, a, his kingdom people, a key ethical standard, anger, specifically the kind that moves us to, to name call, to contempt, especially in the family of God, is sin. Anger is not a kingdom virtue. You may say to yourself, well, Jesus got angry. I mean, Jesus flipped tables, right? He walked into the area where the temple was. He saw people money exchanging for profit and, and, and you know, uh, you know, selling, taking advantage of people. He flipped tables. What about righteous indignation, Pastor Larry? And there is such a thing. It's okay to be angry at sin. It's, it's okay to be angry at injustice we see in the world. But, but I'm just be honest. Most of the time, with human beings, our anger is mixed in motive. And our anger is self serving, it's self avenging, it's more about us and what we're losing, and so we're angry. Who knows your anger? Who knows the wrath of your anger? Your spouse? Your kids? Your coworkers, your neighbors, are are you an angry person? (laughs) Do you let anger fester in your heart regularly? If so, Jesus has an antidote for you. Look at verse 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and therein remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus imagines a scenario. He says, imagine you've gone to Jerusalem, you're at the temple, you've, you've, uh, which would maybe take hours, maybe take days, maybe take weeks, depending on where you lived. You've traveled there. You're, you're waiting to offer your sacrifices to God and you've been waiting in line all day, you know, DMV sort of situation, eight hours, and your number is finally called. 3,467, Doug Johnston, come up, it's your turn. And in that moment, you remember that someone, a brother and sister in Christ is angry at you. Jesus is saying, you should drop what you're doing. I know you've traveled, I know you've spent time, I know you've waited in line, but drop what you're doing and urgently go and seek reconciliation. Notice, notice what, what Jesus is saying. Deal with your anger. Not just when you're angry at someone. That's a given. But notice what he says here. But even when someone is angry with you, deal with it Urgently, In fact, if it's between offering your sacrifice and reconciliation, reconcile first. Reconciliation over ritual. That's what Jesus puts primary. I mean, just, just be honest. How many of our churches would be temporarily emptied if we followed this command? Now, I want you at church. I do. You being here today is a service to those around you. God desires for you to make Sunday a priority. It glorifies him. It blesses others. The church misses out when you are not here. I want you at church. And if you're regularly missing church because there's hundreds of people that are angry at you and you're trying to put out fires, there's probably a deeper anger issue Going on uh, there, and, and honestly, most of us are not going to find ourselves in this position. You know, you're coming to church, you're offering up your praises, your sacrifices, your entire being. You know, you're singing Hosanna, and, and you're just, you're, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, that my neighbor's really mad at me, and, and then you think to yourself, do I just got to run out of here uh, and, and you know just drop what I'm doing, honey? I'm leaving. I'll tell you why later. I mean, most of us aren't going to find ourselves in that position, but. But do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Be urgent in dealing with your anger. It destroys anger. Unchecked will destroy the family of God. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your marriage. Anger is a spark. We must quickly stamp out lest it turn into a destructive fire, lest we incur judgment. Look at 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Another scenario that Jesus puts out there. The assumption is, is you're probably guilty or it looks like that. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny, which you won't be able to do. I think Jesus is making this point, be urgent to reconcile before it's too late. Deal with anger because to hold on to it, to let it fester without repentance and reconciliation will invite God's wrath upon you. And you'll have to face him on judgment day. Here's the first part of our big idea. Kingdom citizens put down anger through urgent reconciliation. Kingdom citizens put down anger through urgent reconciliation. The other day, uh, I was really waiting for this uh, thing to come in Amazon and I was really excited about this. this uh, I bought it with my own Christmas money, so I'm not selfish. Uh, but it was coming and it, and it came broke and, and I was very angry And then, and then I Then I went outside, and I was like, I want to start up my motorcycle. I haven't started in a while. Dead. Completely dead. And and I just got kind of frustrated because I was like, two things in a row that I want to go well weren't working, and I took it out on my family, and I took it out on my wife. And so I'm going to model this and say, I apologize. You're good. (laughs) Because it would be a bad illustration if you didn't. (laughs) Um, Man, I... We're called as kingdom people to, to seek reconciliation, to not let anger fester. And, and that's an, an area where I knew I had messed up. I'd caused somebody else to be angry. I need to deal with it. And the point of me doing that is not to look righteous, but it's to show you that, guys, even, even I'm dealing with this. You, you may be like, Larry, you're, you're so charming <laughs> and, and, and funny and... And you know, you're, you're an eight out of 10, maybe a nine on a good day. <laughs> how could anybody ever get mad at you? Um, they do. <laughs> and here's, here's, here's another hard truth, just, just being honest with you. Your attempts to, to squash anger and to seek reconciliation, it won't always end in restoration. You cannot control how other people respond. I have hurt other people Uh, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And and in light of this passage, I've gone to seek reconciliation and they didn't want to come to the table. They wanted their anger to stew. I cannot control how other people respond when I seek reconciliation. But as a kingdom citizen, even even if I think I'm justified, even if I think I'm right, if I'm not guilty or guilty, it's my job to go and do everything I can to seek peace. That is my job as as a kingdom citizen. I'm called to make every effort at peace as far as it depends on me. And so he hits us with anger, something we all deal with. I mean, I I know we live in Colorado. I know uh, some people smoke the wacky tobacco to kind of calm themselves and all that stuff. That... Uh, Colorado grass or whatever, Uh, marijuana, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Those people are calm. Guys, uh, I I don't care if you exercise all day and to try to deal with your... I mean, all of us in our flesh will deal with anger at sometimes. And so he kind of hits us a little gut punch here. It's not just about murder. It's about anger for kingdom people. And then he he hits us with a one-two. Look at verse 27. Again, Jesus clarifying and deepening. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Easy. I have never slept with another man's wife. Check, seventh commandment, doing pretty good, two for two. Again, Jesus takes it to the heart level. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery is sin. And if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you have committed adultery in your heart. God takes the marriage covenant seriously. The covenant that a a husband makes to a wife and that a wife makes to a husband because it's a reflection of God's love for his people. And it's not enough for you to maintain physical purity alone. It's not enough to say, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. One must guard against engaging in the act of unfaithfulness at the heart level. It's not just ordering off the menu, it's it's looking at the menu. (laughs) Look here is a present tense participle referring to one who continually looks leers and indulges. It's looking lustfully and sexually objectifying someone who is not yours. It's letting your mind run wild and sexually fantasizing about someone who is not yours. That is sin. That is unfaithfulness. That is adultery of The heart. So it's going to the gym and sneaking peeks at the at the fit person on the cardio machine. It's it's going to the pool and and looking lustfully at the this person in their their swimsuit. It's fantasizing about being with someone at work, your neighbor, your your friend's spouse. It's allowing those, those thoughts to run rampant and unchecked in your life. It's, it's looking at pornography. And we, we just, just got to stop here just for a second because pornography is one of the most destructive forces that we have normalized in our society today. And it's where many of you really struggle to apply and adapt this passage. Pornography is destructive. It destroys your brain. It is more potent, if not more so, than cocaine or heroin. It is addictive. You can metabolize cocaine and heroin out of your body. You cannot metabolize pornographic images out of your mind. And if you're new here, guys, welcome to Central Bible Church. Um, uh, We don't talk about this every week. But but you you can't talk about this. Porn is destructive. It destroys your heart. Consumers of of pornography. uh, they, They talk about their habit being accompanied by problems with anxiety, body image image issues, poor self-image, insecurity, depression. If you want a bad marriage, look at pornography. You will rate yourself less attracted and less satisfied with your spouse. Ladies, it's not just a guy issue. Women do it too. Those statistics are growing. Porn destroys your brain. It destroys your heart. It destroys the world. What, what consumers don't want you to understand is that, that webcam model, those those people on the, the internet are not often there by their own volition. They're being coerced, coerced. It's fraud. They're being forced. That is the definition of sex trafficking. And so when you look at pornography, you are essentially supporting an industry that utilizes sex trafficking to engage us and hook us and addict us. No wonder, no wonder God calls it sin. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Kingdom citizens are to take sexual sin seriously. If you're struggling with it, Jesus has an antidote for you. Look at 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Man, that's drastic. Do I need to get out my my buck 119 and start popping out eyes and and cutting off limbs. I mean, I do not think self-mutilation is in view here because you can blind yourself and maim yourself and still lust after someone who is not yours. This is hyperbole. This is Jesus speaking in exaggerated language to make a point. Do what is necessary. Listen to me. Do what is necessary to maintain The unity of the bond of marriage. Go to drastic lengths to avoid sexual sin lest we incur judgment. There's always forgiveness where there's true repentance when we fall. But the person who knowingly and callously continues to destroy the marriage bond through such thoughts and behaviors will have to stand before God on judgment day and their actions may betray them and may show them to be not disciples of Christ, not a child with God who has a new heart, not a kingdom citizen. Here's the second part of our big idea. Kingdom citizens put down anger through urgent reconciliation, And avoid lust through radical eradication. If your smartphone causes you to sin, if your smartphone causes you to stumble, eliminate that temptation. Throw it away, cut it off. Let's make flip phones great again. That's, that seems drastic. Yeah. But it's worth it. Get rid of it. If, if this is the avenue that you're, you're looking lustfully at, at other people, other women, other men, get rid of it. It's not worth it. If Instagram causes you to stumble... All you got to do is you just hold it for a second. A little X will come up. You hit X, delete it. You will not miss it. At the end of your life, you will not say to yourself, man, I wish I would have looked at more Instagram. <laughs> I wish social media was a greater part of my life. My back feels great, by the way, because I don't sit there like this all the time. Get rid of it. If, if if going to the gym causes you to stumble if you if you're seeing I mean guys there's there's beautiful people at the gym I don't know cancel your membership go to where ugly people work out I don't <laughs> I don't know get a stinking home gym run around your neighborhood If the internet causes you to stumble guys take Put your phone in a lockbox when you get home. Put your internet somewhere public where everybody sees or just get rid of it. Eradicate it. Delete it. Cut it off. Do things that are, that are radically different from, from the rest of the world. Because what you gain is way better than, than what you will ever lose. What you lose by radically eradicating those things Do not compare with what you will gain. Intimacy, love, and trust with your spouse. And peace in your heart and mind because you're walking with God. You're pursuing Him. That was a fun Sunday. Anger, lust. In this passage, Jesus, as the Old Testament fulfiller an interpreter has given his people a richer and deeper kingdom ethic. (laughs) The command, do not murder, goes beyond avoiding homicide. It's also about not letting your anger take hold of your heart through urgent reconciliation. The the command, do not commit adultery. It goes beyond avoiding sexual activity with someone other than your spouse. It's also about fighting lust in your heart by radically eradicating anything that causes you to fall. The righteousness that that God desires from us, this greater righteousness, is anything but superficial and surface level. It entails our actions and the desires and, and the motives of our hearts. But here's the good news. By God's grace, God has given those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ a new heart with new desires and new passions that that enable us to, to pursue this kingdom ethic. Does this mean that we will live out this exceeding righteousness perfectly? No. On this side of heaven, you will stumble. And you will fall. It will be a fight. <laughs> it will for sure be a fight. There's some of you in this room who are right now, when I talk about dealing with anger, you're like, yep. I probably need to get up and go. <laughs> we talk about dealing with lust. I mean, yep. I'm kind of in the throes of that right now. It's, it's, it's a habit I can't kick. It's going to be a fight ultimately until Jesus comes back and makes everything new. You're going to fight, but it's a fight we participate in. This is key. As you look at the the Sermon on the Mount and these, these kingdom ethics, it's a fight we participate in by acknowledging our poverty of spirit. That's how the Beatitudes started. Those who are poor in spirit Inherit the kingdom of God, which is essentially saying, God, I need you to help me. So we're going to do something at the end here. If you're dealing with with anger, if you're dealing with lust, uh, if this sermon is applicable to you, (laughs) I want you to bow your head and just pray along with me. And and you can just pray in your mind. You don't have to to pray it out loud, but I'm going to slowly just walk through maybe a prayer that you can pray on a daily basis as you seek to live out these kingdom ethics. So go ahead and bow your head. God, I need you. I'm not able to put down anger and avoid lust without you working in my life. I don't have what it takes on my own to live the way you command me to. I need you to work in my heart to give me a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness, to live according to your kingdom principles. Help me to put down anger. Give me the desire and ability to be an agent of reconciliation and restoration. Help me to put down lust give me the courage and the faith to eradicate anything that causes me to stumble and sin against you, my King, who I love and want to follow. Amen.